Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor. I've been involved in 17 startups and two unicorns. I was on an original management team at Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion, and also EVA.ai, an AI HR tech company. Love artificial intelligence and quantum computing. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world and opportunities are not. I'm the CEO, president, and co-founder of GSD Get Shit Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. So today I have a friend of mine, Kim Ades, who is the CEO and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching. She's got an incredible background. She delivers an extensive coaching experience specifically designed to help executives, directors, and high potential leaders reach unprecedented goals, ooh, unprecedented goals, through the process of building mental awareness, strength, stamina, and resilience. The frame of mind coaching process is built on the premise that thought precedes all action and that the mastery of thought is a key to extraordinary success. Through the coaching process, clients learn to examine how their own thinking is impacting their results and then learn the principles of thought mastery and apply them to their professional and personal lives. With that, I'd like to bring Kim on board. Hi, Kim. How are you today? I'm so good and so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I got a question. Are you originally from uh, Toronto? Because I know you went to school in Ottawa. I'm actually originally from Montreal. I was born and raised in Montreal. And so I speak French. I'm uh, uh, an original Canadian. And um, then I moved to Ottawa, did my undergraduate degree there, my master's degree. And now I live in Toronto. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Why is the food so much better in Montreal, in my opinion, than it is in uh, Toronto? It is uh, a lot better because I think the 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 chefs are better. The the cuisine is better. I think the they come to it with a very different background. So you're right. I think it is better. And you if, know, you go to, if you go to a Greek restaurant in Montreal versus Toronto, like it's just more authentic in Montreal. It feels like. Oh, you're making me hungry now. You know, I'm half Greek and I'm thinking about the oh, really? and all that stuff. <laughs> so in uh, the cafes, are, it's beautiful. You know, it was interesting, though. I went to I went to France one time and uh, so the girl I was with was from Montreal. And when she was in Paris and she would spoke French, they actually knew that we, she wasn't from France and they weren't that friendly. I thought, no. oh, man, I got to shoe into this deal. Because I got somebody who speaks French fluently, right? Yeah, no, no, no. The people from France don't appreciate the uh, French Canadian accent. They call them Kebs. The Kebs. The Kebs. The Kebs. The Quebecois. Really? They call yeah. them that? They call them the Kebs. And the Kebs don't speak up to par. You know, it's it's like a whole different kind of French. Oh, my God. Yeah. I thought the deal is all you have to say is merci beaucoup and you're in, you know. But No, uh, that's not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Wow, that's amazing. So when you came, you got out of uh, graduate school, you got your uh, MBA at Ottawa, and then how did you go right from there to uh, upward motion? What made you decide to do that? You founded a company. I mean, you just it's not so easy founding a company, but then you did it. And 
Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I like you, I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. So before I graduated with, before I even decided to go and do my MBA, I used, to, I was in my early, early 20s, super young. I owned a balloon business and we used to uh, do balloon decorating for people's parties and weddings and bar mitzvahs and special occasions. And then I thought, you know, I can grow this business or I can go get my MBA. If I get in and actually get accepted to do my MBA, I'll sell off the company. So that's what I did. So I have an entrepreneurial spirit inside of me. But after I completed my MBA, I got hired in Ottawa to work for a software company. And then when we moved to Toronto, um, I had this idea. And the idea at the time was to work with young people and help them develop, you know, basic life slash work skills. Um, and so we started this company. I started this company called Upward Motion, uh, but it slowly evolved and we ended up building a, a software company. And the purpose of that software company is that we built simulation based assessments where we would help companies make better hiring decisions. And so we're making some simulations or building simulations when simulations weren't even a thing yet. Like the technology wasn't in place. When we look at simulations today, the technology is super advanced. At the time we were using videos and uh, creating kind of like these, you know, decision trees and that kind of thing. At the time it was really leading edge. Now, not so much, but we're building assessments. And the idea was, you know, how do we help companies really identify the people who would be a fit for them? So that was the concept. Well, that's amazing. So, but how do you go from balloons to upward motion? I mean, that's why it's like, you know, arranging balloons for bar mitzvahs and weddings and stuff to the upward motion. What was the trigger that, that made you decide that well, you wanted to do that? I was always, always have always been ever since I was a kid, I was interested in leadership. What are the, the, the characteristics? What are the skill sets that really outstanding leaders acquire or have innately? And so I thought if we can help companies identify the characteristics that would lead to top performance, then we would make a huge difference in the hiring, the recruiting and the selection process. And so that was the angle. I was always leaning that way. Like if I look at what, what did I study in school? It was leadership always leadership and so this was more of a natural well, how did that come about though kim like were you like in elementary school and you thought well i don't want to be number two in the line i want to be number one and how, when did that first come how, you know maybe it's from your family yeah whatever, I, I mean, I, my, my family is uh we have a lot of entrepreneurs i grew up around a lot of entrepreneurs but it wasn't so much that um in high school i was on students council so i was actually never number one I was never number one. I ran for president of my students council and I lost, but I was always fascinated with leadership. And I always thought, you know, like what is, what makes someone a leader? What makes someone an amazing leader and what makes someone a mediocre leader? So I was always drawn to that naturally. So it's always just, you know, when you observe things naturally, that was where my attention went to like, why is that person capable of something? and the other person isn't. What makes it easier for one person to achieve outstanding goals and the other person really, really struggles? What's the difference between these two? What people? is the difference? 
Well, so that's where I am now, right? Like now I run this company called Frame of Mind Coaching and we coach leaders. And what we've really done is nailed down that difference. So what differentiates outstanding top performers from other people? It's their thinking, but more specifically, it's their level of resilience. And so what we see is, and let's define resilience for a minute. It's the ability to get back up after some kind of adversity, but it's the ability to get back up quickly and leverage the adversity somehow, turn it into an advantage. So a lot of people get knocked down. A lot of people stay down for a long time. Some people get back up, but those people who are super producers or super successful turn their adversity into some kind of a strength, some kind of an advantage. And in order for them to do that, they need to be able to think differently. They need to look at everything as an opportunity. And so that's a different kind of wiring. And that's what we're looking at is how do we help individuals who are have some propensity for leadership? How do we wire them so that they are aware of the opportunities in front of them and they t- take advantage of those opportunities, but also take full responsibility for everything that they create? Everything they see, everything they taste, smell, touch, every interaction they have, they take responsibility for it. So what about those people that you go down through and teach them to be resilient, you know, on the other side? So I think, you know, there's a couple components to it. You know, you look at uh, optimism and the Pygmalion effect, the self-fulfilling prophecy. You would become what you think you're going to be, right? You actually, uh, uh, and the... uh, optimism right staying optimistic because a lot of times when you see people that aren't successful they're always um talking about negative shit essentially yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah. it's like amazing that's like well i don't know but i don't think you should try i remember when i did my first startup i even my dad right i did it right out of graduate school at 21 and uh i learned how to uh, design houses i was never an architect but i actually designed really big houses and 8,000, 9,000 square feet. Anyhow, when I did it, my father said, why in the world would you want to do this, son? You just got out of graduate school. You're 21, 22 years old. Why don't you want to be a professor? You know, I kind of think it. I said, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. But when I actually had to isolate myself from other people, because what happened is they would give me the negative shit why it can't be done, why then right. rather than why it can be done, right? And well, so well, some of the negative stuff, and what happened is I finally got to a point where I didn't want to hang around with them because I didn't need the negative energy. Well, that's it. You know, like we get so many messages from the world about how we are not equipped, how we are not capable, how something is too big for us, too complicated for us, requires too much skill. And so by and large, our our baseline uh, position is a position of frailty, of weakness, of cowardice, right? We don't come to the, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. And it's so ridiculously simple, but I do a lot of speaking and I like interaction. I like it when I engage the audience. So I always ask for a volunteer and it doesn't matter if the audience is 20 people, 200 people, 2000 people. How many, vol- how many people are willing to volunteer? How many do you think? How many volunteer? I don't know. Yeah. Probably none because you got a group setting. I'm, I'm lucky if I get one. 
right? Yeah. But because I mean, the me, pressure, the problem is that there's peer group pressure, and if you have people from the same company in there, then they'll think that somebody's trying to upstage another person because you'll get a uh, aggressive sales guy or sales lady. Well, there's all kinds of things that are happening, but you know, people I'm getting hired to come and teach this audience something, something interesting. And what's the best position to learn from by doing right by yeah. getting on stage, by being in the middle of things. And how many people take advantage of that opportunity? Barely anyone. Why? Because they have a dialogue that runs in their brain. Something like, I don't know what she wants from me. I don't want to embarrass myself. What if I can't, produce? What if, what if I look silly? What if people will judge me? What if, what if? And so what they choose is I'll just stay here and wait and see. I'll be yeah, safe. No, that's, that's the reason why 99% of the people work for that uh, 1%, right? Well, well, so this is the thing is that once you become aware of the dialogue that runs your life, now you can make decisions. Part of the problem is most people aren't even aware of that dialogue that runs your life. But that dialogue, as simple as it is for asking for a volunteer, is really the show stealer, right? Like that is the thing that's holding dominion over your accomplishments. And so when you ask yourself, why is it so hard for me? The second question is ask yourself, what's the dialogue that's going on in my brain? How am mm -hmm. I thinking about things? And chances are that you're thinking actually clashing with your desires or your goals mm -hmm. and so you're wondering why it's so hard that's why it's so hard and how do you get in line so how do you get your thinking in line with your goals uh, the, the first thing is that we need to become aware of our thinking and most of us are not and so when we coach leaders one of the things we do two things that are really interesting number one is when when i have a session with you for example we record every single session and we ask you to listen to the recording the reason is we want you to pay attention to how you show up, how you think, how you speak, how you respond to things, how you have an emotional reaction to a variety of things, right? Mm. So number one is listen to yourself. The second thing we do is we ask our clients to journal in a private and secure online journal with their coach every single day, including the weekends, no days off. And so what happens is we give you a question to start journaling about. Every time you journal, your journal goes to your coach who then reads and responds to your journal by asking more questions, by going deeper, by really digging in and understanding how you view the world, how you respond to things, how you operate, right? So number one is let's learn how you think. Let's see how you think. Once so you what, what do you see? Like, okay, let's give us an example of what that would look like. So what do you, what questions would you ask? Or what does somebody journal about? Just, oh, oh, I went to, I took a ride with my wife and kids and we went to the park. Is I mean, Well, we, we ask them very specific questions every week to take them through a journey to understand what they're dealing with in the present, what they've mm -hmm. dealt with in the past, uh, what they want for the future, right? So we take them through a very specific journey, but the questions we're asking them provide us with great information. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a perfect example. And it's an old example, but I'll give it to you. Okay. So one of our journaling questions is we ask our clients to write a conversation with anybody they want. It could be with someone they know, someone they don't know, someone famous, someone who died, someone that they're dreaming about. It doesn't really matter. They just have to pick a person. And the only parameter is that it needs to be an ideal conversation. That's it. That's the mm -hmm. only rule. So I'll give you a perfect example. Years ago, I had a client. She was a VP of marketing for 
uh, a, a prominent firm, let's just put it that way. And she decided that she would write a conversation between herself and the Obama administration at the time because she thought she wanted to be Secretary of State. And so what did she do? She wrote this whole long dialogue, a whole long exchange. Mm -hmm. um, and the exchange was that she was getting interviewed for the job. Mm -hmm. Right. So they said, wow, we saw your resume. It looks very impressive. But please tell us in your own words, what qualifies you for this role? And so in her journal, she wrote paragraphs and paragraphs about her qualifications, about her history, her background, her cultural heritage, about her education, and then a 10-point plan about all of the things she would do in her role as Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. And they said, wow, you know, you're so impressive. You are our front runner. And as soon as we've interviewed all the candidates, uh, we'll let you know where, where you stand. And at the bottom of her journal, she wrote me a note. She wrote, how's that for dreaming big? Now, I'm going to ask you, Gary, do you think that's dreaming big? No. Why not? Well, because you can do anything you want if you believe in your dreams. Well, in her case, it's not dreaming big because she created a scenario where she didn't even give herself a job. She didn't give herself the job? She did not. She gave herself an interview. And in the interview, she had to prove her worth. Hmm. Well, she should, have, she should have written about being in the job and what kind of things she's going to do. Well, if it were me, right, this is how my ideal conversation would well, go. Well, that's because she set up a roadblock for herself. She's already set the, the mental roadblock, and that's why people have limitations. So for some reason, that limitation, she that's probably how her life's run. Well, that's exactly it, except people aren't aware that they are doing that. So in that scenario, if I were her, here's how the ideal conversation would go. They would call me up and they would say, Kim, we've interviewed all the candidates. You're hands down better than every single candidate we've seen. We can't wait for you to start in the job. But before you do, we're going to send you and six of your best friends on an all-inclusive paid trip to Italy. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah, outrageous yeah. I mean, thinking. You know, Why not? The, right? Here's the deal, Kim. You know what I see? In fact, I just did it a couple of weeks ago. A friend of mine asked me if I wanted to pilot his jet, right, to be a co-pilot. And I'd never flown a jet before. He's an instructor. And, I, I, you know, they're fast, right? They're 400 miles an hour, 21,000 feet. And this one happens to be a little faster than most of them. Anyhow, I thought to myself, before I got on that, uh, before I got in the pilots, the co-pilot seat, I said to myself, you know, I was a little scared. And I thought, I visualized being Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Right, well, I didn't do this though, <laughs> but, right? And all of a sudden, it became really fun, right? And so, you know, you put yourself in those situations. You know, if you look at the, the part of the problem is when you get older too, Kim. You start to set up more roadblocks. You know, become less risk averse, uh, more more risk averse, more risk averse, more yeah. risk -averse and you don't want to do things. And the situation is, you know, if you look at life like a curiosity of a child. And, you know, explore things. How many people walk down the street and never look up at the sky? It's unbelievable, right? That's exactly right. How many people, you know, don't go, uh, nighttime, I ride my bike at 11 o'clock at night. Why do I do it? Because I like watching the stars, the ambient light. Yeah. There's not a lot of ambient light. It's beautiful. But sometimes we forget about, you know, the air and simple pleasures. Yeah, you're 100% right. And here's the thing. So my job is to help people become aware of what they're unaware of. And when you have awareness, then you can make decisions, mm -hmm. right? Then you can choose whether or not this course of ac action is going to actually lead you to the outcomes you're looking for. Right now, people are working or living in an unconscious state. 
and they're not aware that their actions, they think their actions are going to lead to the outcomes, but very often their actions literally contradict their very, their greatest desires. Well, they have no, no the awareness. People set up their own mental road. You know, I'm a psychologist too, right? You go right. down through and you set your mental roadblocks and you you don't let yourself explore. I remember, you know, Scott McNeely's, you ever, I don't know if you ever heard of Sun Microsystems. It was a very big company in the I, uh, I have, 90s. Yeah. And I had lunch with Scott, actually two different times I met with him. But he told me, always go to the area that you fear the most. You're going to learn the most. I'll never forget it. It was early in the 90s. And I used that you know, as a guide for my life, because I thought of it's going to be scary, do it. And the kind of things I moved to Russia, I lived in Moscow and St. That's Petersburg. Right. I and remember that. All these different places. And they were scary, but I learned so much. It was unbelievable. And, you know, in your life, you got to like explore and go try things that aren't comfortable, go down through and do them achieve because guess what you feel rewarded your endorphins and keflons kick in because you've accomplished something that you normally wouldn't get a chance to do it's an unbelievable right that's exactly right so but not everybody knows that not everybody is wired that way and so well, that's they have people like you to go right. down there so you exactly. know i have, I have exactly. audience from all over the world that watch my show we're in 44 countries today Amazing. uh and so what kind of, how do they, how can you, can you help them? If I have companies. Of course, of Africa, course we can help them. How we, do you, what do you, what can they do with you, Kim? So we coach people from all over the world. We have clients literally all over the world. And so uh, our coaching is virtual. And so they just need to reach out to me and learn more. And happy to, happy to talk to anybody who's interested in learning more about coaching. We launched something new, though, recently, um, because we started to discover that a lot of our clients were having a hard time recruiting and retaining a younger workforce, like the young professional market. And so we created a coaching program specifically for young people that is affordable and accessible and unlimited. And we call it the journal that talks back. We just launched this at the tail end of last year. And it's going amazingly well. Like we have a um, journal that talks back, the journal that talks back. The idea is you get assigned to a coach and you journal with that coach as much as you want. And every time you journal, your coach will read and respond to your journal within a 24 hour time period. And so if you're a young person and you're, let's say, struggling with your boss or unsure of your next move, or even if you're doing well at work, but something at home isn't going well, maybe a relationship or maybe you're ready to move out of the house or whatever it is, um, that coach will help you work through it. It's amazing. You know, we have, we're working on unsupervised artificial intelligence now, and there's a product that my partner developed called Morpheus which actually is doing that, but without human intervention. And it's uh, taught, I mean, it goes back and forth. It's amazing. It talks about life. We go back and have conversations. But do you think, what do you think in another 20 years in terms of our lives? My view is that we're going to have like a guardian angel, right? And it's going to be this AI that's kind of like your grandmother, has compassion, loves you no matter what, unconditionally empathizes with you. And yet at the same time, has access to everything that's out there on the planet, right? To help guide you, whether it's health decisions, whether it's uh, mental health decisions, whatever, you know, uh, directions. But they're like your grandmother. In fact, you know, I just wrote an article in Forbes about chat box bringing people back to life, right? Again. Yeah. 
So um, what do you think? I mean, do you think what you're you're describing is the great kazoo from the Flintstones? Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, that is the maybe that is the great kazoo. But, um, you know, I don't think the great kazoo had empathy and compassion, though, if I recall. Right. That's true. That's I think true. it was kind of like a little dicey, probably like normal AI. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Exactly that. And so, it was a good article. And so the, you know, but I, I see that as life. And here's the other thing, Kim, I don't know about you, but you know, your opinion I had a chance a couple of weeks ago to speak at the United Nations and there's so much crazy stuff going on right now in Ukraine, uh, you know, issues with the war, et cetera. And we got to figure out how to live together, to work together, to help each other. Because guess what? We have challenges. We got population of 8 billion going to 13.1 by the end of the century. We got to double the food supply by 2050 to feed everybody. We can't increase the number of livestock because 26% of the problem with pollution is methane gas from cows. Yeah. Right. Um, The average temperatures around the world are going to go up seven degrees Fahrenheit by the end of the century, estimated. That means that well, 80% of the fresh water is in the uh, Antarctic right now, and it's going to melt, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, water height could be up 10 feet, right, yeah. sea level. So, you know, how do we go down and, you know, and help people come together? You know, Germans have a phrase, gestalt, the sum of the parts yeah. of the whole. How yeah. do we bring them together? So individually train the people to explore, but a uh, but as a society, bring people together to help one another. You know what? It's very interesting because you're asking a, a, a very complex question. How do you bring people who, I'm going to say, who are, how do you say, you know, the question you asked was, how do we help people live together and bring them together? And for me, there's a question that precedes it. It's how do we help people live with themselves? Yeah, because well, if you can't true. if you I mean, can't live with yourself, how do you live with others? It's maybe virtually it's like impossible. Three, maybe it's a three step approach, Kim. You got to help people get to the rather you know like a self actualization, where they get to a point where they you know they have their basic needs satisfied. They don't have to worry about food, water. Right. You know they have love. They're not worried about their safety. And then we start to move up. But here's the problem. The problem is we better do it really fast because yes. if we don't do it, we probably have maximum 200 years until we're extinct on this planet. Seriously. Well, and this is why I think the work that individuals need to do before they try to do it externally is to do it internally. I really, really think so. I think that, you know, we, we look at things in the news from wars in Ukraine to Will Smith beating up Chris Rock on the Oscars and, you know, there's a person who's not at peace, right? There's a person who, you know, I kind of thought it, was it looked a little weird to me, honestly, the way he hit him was almost like it looked like what he did in the wild, wild west. Right. And I don't know. It was kind of weird, you know, from my standpoint, it would be a good way to get a lot of visibility for both of them. Maybe not in a good way. I, I don't think, I don't think it was positive uh, visibility in any way. No, but the point is, so. The point is you see you see in this in this instance a situation where there's no internal peace. If there's internal peace, Chris Rock could be standing on his head insulting the whole world and it wouldn't rattle Will. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, so that's part of that's the right. work we need to do. That's the work we we need. That's that comes first. 
No, it sounds super. Hey, listen, we're coming up to the uh, top of the show. So closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you so they can come in and, and become uh, one of your uh, clients or customers? Yeah, closing thoughts are this. If you are struggling at all with anything, professionally or personally, and you're asking yourself, how do I get from here to there? I would highly recommend you say, what is it that I am doing? How am I thinking about this problem that's causing me to slow down, that's causing a bottleneck? And if that's something you're interested in talking about, I could definitely help you through it. How do you find us? Frameofmindcoaching.com for executives and the journal that talks back for young professionals. Now, that's great, Kim. Kim, I want to thank you so much. You know, you and I met a couple of years ago. I remember. And, and, uh, you know, how, how things uh, move around. But, you know, believe in your dreams and they come true. Visualize where you want to go and put yourself in that experience. Surround yourself with good people. Treat people fairly and, uh, you know, take care of yourself. Love, safety, and um, peace. So my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the host of GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. It's great to be here. Thanks, Kim, for being an incredible guest. Go to Frame of Mind Coaching and check it out. She's got a lot of ideas, good person, and can help you move in the right direction, you and your company. Stay tuned again for another exciting edition coming up Thursday of my show, GSD Presents. See you soon. Thanks. Take care, Kim. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.